Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We've got a great show today. Rachel Heslin has been immersed in the study of psychology for over 40 years. She started probably before she could walk. Her father, a clinical psychologist, taught his craft to his children. So Rachel was introduced to the neuro-linguistic programming NLP concepts before she was nine years old. She, Rachel is currently the author of two books, Navigating Life and Different Strategies to Guide Your Way, and Rituals of Release, How to Make Room for Your New Life. Her work through her company, The Fullness of Your Power, helps people embrace all parts of their true selves so that they can live happy, successful, and more deeply fulfilling lives. Rachel, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, and I think it's so interesting that by the time you were nine years old, you were familiar with NLP. I didn't know what NLP was until I was closer to 30. Well, I didn't know it as NLP. I, it was more the concepts of it. I still remember my dad coming home from a workshop and telling me about why the word should is really problematic. And when you start getting these concepts and these ways of looking at the world when you're so young, it really affects how you live your life and how you look at things. I mean, if I look back, I think the most important thing I got from it is simply the awareness of the observer, of that part of you that's watching what you're doing. So I'm always looking at it, and I'm curious, why do I do the things that I do, especially when I can tell it may not be in my best interests, but over the years... I've been able to see patterns in myself and in others and figured out how do we change those patterns so that we can live the lives we actually want to be living. Well, you're right. We all have self, what I call them self-defeating thoughts and the shoulds, certainly the shoulds and the must. Um, I used to know the shoulds and the must really well, <laughs> but but I did, they had these two friends called shame and blame and i didn't like them so i decided i had to get rid of the shoulds and i changed them into the coulds and that really instead of saying should when i found myself saying could i would stop and think about well i could and then this would happen and this would happen oh and this would happen oh i want to do that so you're so right we've got to just be in touch with all of what's going on in our head See, I absolutely love that because what you're doing when you change that should to a could is you're making it alive because shoulds aren't alive. They're like snapshots. They're stagnant. They're not moving. They're just this is the way that it is. And when you change that to a could, all of a sudden you're in motion again. You can do things. You can learn. You can grow. You can be alive. That's a great way to, to look at it because you're right. I felt stuck when I was in a should mode, absolutely stuck. And when I switched to could, all kinds of energy started to flow. Well, you could do this. You could do this. So 
that's a great way to, to put it. So you've written a couple of books and the first one, Navigating Life, Eight Different Strategies to Guide Your Way. Is there a reason you chose the word strategies? Oh, most definitely. I've seen a lot of books that say, okay, do this, 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 and this, and take these steps. And as I was going through my own life, I realized things are different for different people. But these strategies refer to different areas that you need to take into consideration if you want to make a significant and sustainable change in your life. I like the word strategies because it makes it makes me think about I'm thinking about it. You mm-hmm. know, I'm putting thought into this. I'm putting intention. I'm being deliberate. And one of the things I like about strategies, especially the way that I've set them up here, is they acknowledge the need for flexibility. Again, a lot of what I look at is how do we become not just more successful, but more alive. How do we adjust when life doesn't always go the way that we told it we wanted it to go? What do we do in those situations? And how do you create those strategies that will help you move forward in a way that is resilient and evolves? Well, you know, looking back, I can tell that you've been exposed to a different way of thinking since an early age. I'm sure your father was a great influence in your life. Is there anyone else that you really feel like influenced your thinking? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I talk about my parents as a team in that my father taught me to reach for the stars and my mother taught me to pack enough oxygen to make the trip. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was an incredible combination of the vision and the practical because visions feed our hearts. They give us directions. They give us goals. They inspire us. But if we don't have strategies, if we don't have that practical, okay, what can I do to move me in that direction, then those dreams... I have a lot less chance of actually coming. Well, you're right about that. I mean, I've worked with clients that are, they just sit and they wait for it to happen. And we'll talk about things that we can do to, you know, activate these ideas and different approaches. And a lot of people just know it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen at the right time. Well, there's, I, I, it's a balance because there is a certain amount of trust or faith or a willingness to allow things to unfold that is important. But you need to be immersed in living in order for those things to actually make a difference. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. I think it was Will Smith who was talking about how you need to be ready. Yes, opportunities are going to arise, but you need to get ready so that when the opportunities do come up and it does unfold, you're there and you can you're actually in a place where you can do something with it. I think the 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 old quote luck is the combination of opportunity and preparation. 
So it really is needing to focus on what you personally can do and to a certain extent let go of the results and what may come of it but be open and aware of possibilities that's a really good way that's a really good way to put it you know and i think that we i, I tell my clients we work off of treatment goals because if you don't know what you're looking for you're never going to find it oh yeah yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of figuring out what are your metrics? What is it that you are measuring? And when I say that, a lot of people talk about uh, money. And while that is something that could be measured, how do you measure something like the intimacy of a relationship? How do you measure how much you're in touch with your emotions? Those are the things that are a little more awkward to put some sort of qualitative data to, but I think it's important to notice them and to track them, even if it's on a scale. Because as we're living moment to moment, if you were feeling depressed for a very long time, if you don't check in on yourself, you may not notice that, hey, you're actually feeling better until you hit, get another downswing. And I think it's important to notice when we're feeling good, too, because it happens. I think you're right, because we've got to enjoy the good and the, and, and the bad. And the having both of those in our lives is what helps us appreciate both of those. Yeah, and it's I I look at it not as judgment, not necessarily as good or bad, but an awareness and appreciation. Because I I don't think the the purpose of life is to be happy. I think the purpose of life is to be alive, and that means experiencing life. It certainly does. And I think, you know, it's the beginning of a new year, 2022. We're all hopeful. We all want 2022 to be full of goodness. And I'm sure many of us have things in our mind that, okay, this is this is my time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. So let's talk about how we can help them make those things happen. So let's, let's go to navigating life because... It truly is a, a journey, and you truly do have to navigate it. Oh, yes, because it's all, it's constantly changing. It's like if you're on the ocean, you've got the currents, you've got the winds, you've got your guidance. What's your North Star? star? Where are you going, and how do you stay on track when there are so many things around you that are constantly changing? So how do you get people started? What's the first strategy that we follow? Well, the first strategy is identifying which of your goals and values aren't really yours. As human beings, we're social creatures and we're constantly picking up things from other people. And there are so many people who put all of their energy into achieving a goal and then realizing, you know, this wasn't what I wanted. I did it because it's what my parents wanted. I did it because I thought it's what I was supposed to do. So you need to be able to clear out those other people's things so that you can make room for finding out what you want. Because I do believe that each of us does have 
a unique contribution to the world. There only is one you. How do you become the best you that you can be? And nobody else can be you better than you. That's for sure. So if the first goal is really owning what your goals are. Yeah, well, the, the first goal is letting go of other people's stuff. And once you have that space, the second one is to tap into, well, what is your vision? What is it that would fulfill you? When you look back at the end of your life, you can say, yes, this was a life well lived. And how do you tap into that so that whatever you're doing is aligned with who you want to be? So when you say the word vision, I know I've I've used that with some clients and it's almost they look at me like they get that deer in the headlight look, you know, like, oh, and how do you define vision? I'm actually a kinesthetic Uh, I I think of things in terms of feelings. Some people are very visual. Some people are auditory. For me, it's a sense of who I want to become. What is the life I want to live? One of the ways to find out what is being asked of you is notice what draws you to other people. Is there somebody, whether it's someone you know personally or a celebrity, who you find fascinating? You think they're just wonderful. What are those qualities in them that attract you? Those, that's the type of information that tells us there's usually something inside yourself that wants to be expressed. When I talk about vision, Sometimes you don't know what the big vision is. Sometimes it's just a sense of, I want to do something more creative. I want to do something that gives back to the community. I want to be there for my family. I talk about having a big vision, but it doesn't have to happen all at once. You may get a small part of it, and that's okay because it gives you a starting point. I love Martin Luther King Jr. talking about you don't need to see the whole staircase. Just take that first step, which actually leads into the next strategy, which is identifying the action steps. When you have the vision to more specifically answer your your question with a little more clarity, vision is you have a sense of who you want to be, where you want to go something that draws you forward. That is a great definition. I'm going to remember that. (laughs) Once you have that, then you need to identify action steps. What is the first thing that you need to do that just moves you in that direction? It's not going to get you all the way there, but once you can see, okay, if I do this and then do this, then I will see what my next options are. What is it you can actually do? And are there exercises that you use with people to help them go through this thought process or or is it more a verbal? 
the I I refer a lot of people to David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. And what I like about this book is that it breaks down from overall vision, what do you want to do with your life, to projects, what are things that you want to accomplish, and then breaking down those projects into tasks. Uh, for example, I use this book as an example. It's like, okay, I wanted to write the book, but I had to break it down to, okay, we have the outline. We decide what is it about? What is, for me, when I write, one of the first things I do is decide what is the narrative journey I want to take the reader on? How do I want them to feel at the end of it? And what do I want them to be able to do differently as a result of having read my book. So that's kind of the project. And once you have that framework, it's like, okay, what is the next thing I need to break down? Sometimes uh, one of my mentors who's uh, an author says, just write a sentence a day. When you have that bare minimum of just one sentence, it can clear out so many of the mental and emotional barriers of thinking that the project itself is too big. Break it down into really tiny little things. What is the absolute smallest thing that you can do that still moves you forward? I like that because when you do break it down, it, it becomes so doable. It does. And that's when I was talking about tracking things, which is actually another one of the, the strategies later on. When you're doing small things every day, it does, it, it gives you a sense of progress when you notice, hey, I've done all these little things six months down the line. Oh my goodness, look at what I've done. I'm skipping ahead, but that's okay. We'll get there. No, that's, uh, but I mean, it does. You do kind of skip ahead because it's. I do. Yeah. Well, that's when it. When I wrote the book, I listed it out in as eight strategies, but doing so, I realized we don't live life linearly. We don't live one step, then a next step, then the next step, then the next step, and all of a sudden profit, because things come up. We backtrack. We realize we forgot something. We look back on our life in the past and we look at it differently because we have greater context now. We understand things differently because we have more life experience. Something comes up it's like, oh, I need to deal with this now. Even though it happened before, it's coming up now. Life is messy. It really is. But it's fun. But, and it's certainly not a straight linear line, you know, oh, yeah. you go back and forth, up and down. Uh -huh. And that's, I think, what does make it fun. It does. It's it's interesting. I mean, the, the human psyche is wired for novelty. And as long as we pay attention to life around us, we're constant, not just seeing new things, but seeing things with new eyes. Well, and new eyes are so valuable. I mean, it gives us, you know, it gives us a whole different perspective and that we can reach out and touch. Oh, yes. So once people, you know, kind of create their own big vision, 
um, and I know you talk about this in your book, listen to your heart, what makes you happy? As you said earlier, whom do you admire? Um, what do you want to change in your life? Once they get that down, what's the next step? Um, well, it's it's the the once you have a general idea, create specific pictures. What would you like to accomplish? What would you like to do? That's the creating the the projects, as I meant, as I referred to for David Allen uses the phrase project. What would you like to create? And sometimes, I mean, if, if your greatest passion is to be a good parent, what are things that you can do to increase your skill level in parenting? What can you do to increase your ability to be present with your children? What can you do to become that person? Well, that goes back to breaking it into the action steps Absolutely. and moving forward. Because it, it's, it, it's really easy when you have really amorphous stuff of, I want to be a good parent. You need to be able to take action in order to become that person. And it is true when you're dealing with amorphous goals, it can be more difficult to identify what the actions are, but there is always something you can do. And it may be one of your actions is going for a short walk every morning and meditating so that you can be more present with your family. I like that, you know, because if that's what you want, that's a, certainly is a way that you can get there. Exactly. So let me ask you this. One of the questions or one of the dialogues that I get into with, with clients when we start talking about action steps, well, what if I do this? Well, what if that happens? Well, what if, what if, what if, what if? How do you deal with the what ifs? I look at them because the what I have found, uh, actually there are, there are two different approaches that deal with two different aspects of the what if. One of them is simply being aware of the what ifs. The, uh, because what I, I find sometimes it's difficult, and this goes back to the first strategy of letting go of shoulds and other people's goals. When you have those fears and the what ifs, if you're totally caught up in them, it may be that that's actually calling towards you. When you're embarking on a new path, you're going in a new direction. One of the ways that I find uh, to identify whether or not it is, in fact, your path is how much of a story do you have to tell yourself to either convince or unconvince yourself to take it? If you want to do something and you're getting all these, well, what if it goes wrong? And well, it's not practical and da-da-da. That's a lot of stories 
that you're bringing up to convince yourself that it's not a good thing to do. The flip side of that, going back to the shoulds and other people's goals, is if you find yourself saying, well, I really should do this because it's practical or this or that, that's another set of lots of stories. And if you need to work that hard to convince yourself, that generally means it's not yours to do. Because when something is congruent with who you are, with your contribution, it calls to you and it pulls you along that path. The second approach to dealing with what ifs is to follow the follow them down the line. Okay, well, what if what if what you fear does happen? Then what? And what next? And what next? The problem is not the fear of what happens. The follow the problem is people never answer the question, what if? They just end it with kind of a, well, then it would be awful. A story that I often use that illustrates that the it would be awful is not inherent to those fearful what ifs. I was listening to an interview with somebody who had essentially the same what if as a friend of mine had just had. And my friend had just lost their job and they were having a really hard time getting the money together for their rent. And they were terrified that they would lose their apartment and have to live in their car. A couple days later, I'm listening to this interview and someone was asking the woman, well, did, were you afraid when you took this risk in your new business that it might fail? And she said, well, of course it might fail, but what's the worst that could happen? I'd have to live in my car. I've done that before. <laughs> That's a great way to take the sting out of it. You know? And it, it is a matter of sometimes those what if fears do happen. The problem is not something awful might happen. The problem is when we think that we do not have the capacity to deal with it. And this is something else that I learned from my mother, which is there is a difference between denying a fear or, or it's between denying a risk versus accepting it. Once you accept that, yes, it is possible that this thing that you fear might happen. Well, you, know, you make, yeah, you make such a good point yeah. there because when you look at every challenge that we face in life, it, the first step that we have to take is we have to accept, we have to accept it. We have to accept that we're, we're there. What happened, happened. What we said, what we did, we did. We have to own it. And once, you know, once that acceptance comes in, then you can move forward. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to go back and learn a little bit more. We'll be back after these messages. Have you heard? 
The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's words you never heard. Did you ever wonder who invented the snow shovel? Most of us who live up north have spent a lot of time using this tool. No one really knows who started using it for snow, but according to live science, the first known shovels were discarded ox scapulas, or shoulder blades, which folks used to move soil and rocks 5,000 years ago. Most historians recognize Arthur Sicard as the inventor of the first practical snow blower in 1925. Of course, you can get pretty knackered shoveling the snow off your driveway. What's a word for the fear of hard work? Ponophobia. In 1923, two brothers from Norway constructed the first automobile-mounted snowplow. What's the word for the fear of snow? Kyanophobia. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host... Lee Richardson. We're back. And, you know, the first half of the show, we really focused on how you get going with your strategy. You should let go of, of what you think you should be doing and you figure out what you want to do. And, of course, there's challenges associated with that that you have to let go and, and move forward with. So, Rachel, before... As we move forward, let's kind of pick up where we left off. Yeah, it's interesting because we act, we had moved into the fourth strategy, which is addressing fears and stories. And what I was saying just as we were closing out before the break is that once you make your peace with a possibility, it no longer has power over you. You can make choices based on uh, your heart, mind, and gut working together instead of simply being afraid. It's what we all strive to do, that's for sure. Yeah, and I I do want to say that you're going to be afraid. Stuff comes up, stories come up. I mean, I've been working on this for over 40 years, and I still have stories come up when I move into something new. One of my uh, personal stories under the surface, you mentioned the the voices in the head and that sort of thing, is that I can never do or be enough. And we talked about going down into those stories. Uh, It was actually my husband who helped me do this because he's really a firm believer into sinking into what is. 
So I sat with the idea, what if it is true that I never can do or be enough? And what came up is the understanding that on a very fundamental level, no, I can never do or be enough because I'm not supposed to do it alone. Part of my journey is learning collaboration, is working with others, is allowing myself to be supported. So this huge fear I had of, oh my goodness, I can't do everything all by myself. Once I went down into that fear, I discovered, well, that's because I'm not supposed to do it all by myself. So yeah, looking at fears is really useful. Well, it is useful, and I think it's one of the things that we struggle with. You know, we I'll do that tomorrow. You know what? I, I, I'm out of time today. Tomorrow, I'll deal with that. And we push it off as an indefinitely. Yeah, so that's actually, lead, if we want to lead into strategy five, it's monitoring your progress. This is a rea really good reality check. Earlier, I had talked about how sometimes when you're doing really little things, you don't always notice the difference from day to day. If you are tracking what you're doing, you can look back and say, oh, I actually have made progress in these areas. And another way that monitoring progress helps is that reality check. The example I give in the book is when I was exercising, I wasn't really seeing the results that I was looking for. Uh, I wanted to be stronger and more flexible and more stamina. And I just, I wasn't progressing as fast as I hoped I would. So I went back and looked at my tracking sheet and discovered that I thought I had been working out four days a week and it had actually only been about two or three. Like, well, no wonder I'm not seeing the progress that I wanted because I'm not doing what I thought in my head I was. It is very easy for days to blend into each other. And if you don't keep track of what you're doing, it's harder to tell when you go off track, which actually leads into the next strategy of correcting your course. What do you do when you fall off the wagon? When you have this monitoring and you're tracking and you say, okay, I'm not, I have not been doing what I said I would do. How do I get back on track? If you have the various strategies that you've already set up, you can go back and say, okay, let me check out what were my action steps? What is it that I said that I wanted to do? How do I go back to doing what I said? But the other aspect of correcting your course actually goes back to your vision. Things change, people change, priorities change, life changes. You may need to go back to what it is you want to do. There are many times that we set goals that as we move towards them, we realize they are no longer relevant to who we are now. 
This has been especially true the last couple of years. So many things have been changing. And when you have people who just stick their heads down and say, nope, nope, I'm just going to do the same thing I've always done, it's so hard. It is so hard because they are not going to see the results that they may have been seeing in previous years because the world itself has changed. We need to reassess where are we? Who are we? What are our current resources? What are our current priorities? What is it that we are being called to do in this moment now? So correcting your course may be letting go of old goals and starting over. Well, kind of, that's where it goes back to, isn't it? You got to go back to the beginning and start over. Yeah, and it sometimes it's all the way back. Sometimes you just need to backtrack a couple of weeks and say, okay, hold on a second. Let me look at this. And sometimes it's just you still want those goals. You still want to be that person, but you need to reconnect with your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you motivated? It can become really easy just to be going through the motions. And sometimes it's okay to just go through the motions. That's actually the strategy seven, building momentum, is how do you do stuff when you don't really want to do it? Well, before we go to strategy seven, let's back yeah. up a little bit. Sure. Because, you know, when we talked about you have to monitor your progress, it can that be as simple as, because my husband, every day he gets up and he has a list of things that he's going to accomplish. Yeah. And at the end of the day, every single one of them is marked off. I mean, is he's yeah. monitoring his progress. Yeah. And that for a lot of people that works. I'm, I, <laughs> I am a very process oriented person. Inherently, I am about the experience. And I sometimes tell people I am so process-oriented that it's a wonder I finished tying my shoes in the morning. It is so easy for me to move from this to this to this to this and not actually accomplish what it is I set out to do. I don't, I used to always see this as a flaw, as something that was wrong with me. And over the years, I've come to realize it's actually one of my strengths because I see connections and patterns that people who are focused on the this, 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 this don't always see. At the same time, I do still need to exercise some discipline and do the things that are important. How I manage this is I work with both macro and micro, and I work with my mind and my heart together. When I work out my to-dos for the day, I already have worked out those projects and action steps. At the beginning of the year, I have a general idea of what it is that I want to do. But each month, I say, okay, these are the things I want to accomplish in this month. 
each Sunday, I sit down and say, okay, here are the things that I want to do this week. And part of my evening ritual is what do I want to do tomorrow? And I actually turn it into a ritual where I open up my date book. I set aside a almost like a sacred time for this is only dedicated to this moment now, deciding what do I want to do the next day? And I include my heart in the process because I know there are certain things that if I want to keep moving forward, I need to do them. But if I try to cram too many to-dos into a day, I no longer have the spaciousness to be flexible, to be present, to spend time with my kids, to do things that come up that I had not planned for. It is very much a, um, a combination of heart and mind working together for a more sustainable process that works for me. Something I, else I do that it, in the evening that is specific tracking is I have grids where I look at here are things that I want to do each day. Did I go for a walk? Did I exercise? Did I write today? Did I do something creative today? And I have grids that are set up for each day and I can mark off, did I actually do it? That actually goes into the building momentum as well because those tracking things give me that extra bit of oomph when I really don't feel like it. I don't always want to go for my walk and exercise and do things, but I know I get to make off, check off one of those boxes if I do. And I feel better about myself when I fulfill commitments to myself. So my tracking grids give me that extra incentive to do things when I don't really feel like it. Well, and that's a great way to, you know, that's a great way to use them as a way to motivate yourself, um, because that's usually what keeps us off track and keeps us from moving forward is we're just not motivated. Yeah, and I, I've, I've made it totally, it's color coordinated. I've got different highlighters for different things, and I try to make it fun. Well, and fun is motivating. You know, anytime I'm having fun and enjoying something, okay. Bring oh, it yeah. on. Oh, yeah. It's like, how do we bring more life to our lives? And fun is definitely a part of it. Well, I stopped you. You were ready to move forward with strategy, but I wanted clarity on monitoring progress. So well, now see, actually, it was perfect because monitoring progress and gaining momentum are closely related. Oh, so that's when we, we move, I actually moved into it. See, I snuck up on you when you weren't looking. When we're talking about that motivation of doing it, that helps you build momentum. Uh, I also, I worked with an accountability partner for many years. It was through that process of working with her that I developed my 
my own strategies and my ways of tracking and monitoring and giving myself that little, oof, yes, you can do this because working with another person gave me that incentive that I might not have done for myself to make a little bit of extra effort to move me a little more forward than I would have if I were just working on my own. Having someone hold you accountable certainly adds value. It does. And one and the I move, that's part of the the gaining momentum is like how do you do things when you don't really feel like it? I find the, those charts and the accountability and the promises to yourself are what what gives that extra incentive to actually do the things so that you can start seeing progress. So the we've we're moving forward. We're beginning to see progress. Um, are we starting to build momentum? Yeah, and it, it is the the more you move forward, the more you can see. It's kind of like if you're walking through a hilly valley. When you go up a hill, you can see farther. You can see what your next steps are. You're excited. You feel um, more competent. They talk about the competence confidence loop. The more that you do, if you are being conscious about it, if you are noticing that you are doing things, you have more confidence that there's more that you can do. I actually want to get into the last strategy, which is celebration. You need to acknowledge yourself for what you have done. What milestones are you reaching? Really get excited about the fact that you are building momentum. You are making progress. You have done things. It's especially amazing if you can celebrate with others who think that you're absolutely amazing and can say, yeah, yeah, you've done good. I had talked about how each of these st strategies are not necessarily linear, even though I number them one through eight. Because when you celebrate what you've done, that gives you that extra excitement to stay on course, to build momentum, to know that you can do more. You can go back and say, okay, let's be a little more flexible. How do I fine tune my goals? Now that I've gotten to the top of this hill, what do I see now? What are, what's my next direction? What's my next project? What excites me now? and then go back and go through it again. And each time your experience is a little deeper, a little richer, and your life itself becomes more dynamic. Which is what we are all in search of. Most definitely. So you've described the different strategies and you've talked about how you these can be applied to navigate our way through life. Let's say that someone tries all the strategies and they don't work. How do you how do you help that person? The question I would have is what are they afraid might happen if they succeed? Okay, tell me more. 
a lot of times we have subconscious stories where we believe that in order to achieve a really big goal, we will need to make sacrifices. And sometimes those are sacrifices that we are not willing to make. Uh, in the neurolinguistic programming community, this is referred to as ecologically sound goals. You need to want something that is essentially in the best interests of everyone in all respects. It is possible that certain things may require sacrifices, but it's also possible they may not and you just assume that you will have to lose something in order to get what it is you think you want. To give an example, a lot of people think that if they take that promotion at work, uh, they think that in order to make more money, they will need to sacrifice time with their family. And they don't, they keep turning down opportunities to make money because they don't want to sacrifice time with their family. Both of these are very valid and valuable desires. So the question is, how can you bring more financial abundance into your life in a way that also allows you to spend really good time with the people you love? I am a big fan of questions. The answers may not look the way that we think they should look, but ask the questions and see what comes up because it might surprise you. So the first question I would ask is, what is it you are afraid you would lose? And some, sometimes you can deal with these fears with affirmations. As an example, uh, I was working with someone who was dealing with that problem where she was afraid that if she created a bigger following and put herself out there more, that she, everybody would demand, be demanding more of her time and she would never have any time for herself. So I helped her envision the possibility that the more she opens herself up to being of greater contribution to more people, the more time she has for herself. The way this would work is by being more present. So much of our energy is caught up with stories with those fearful what ifs with well what if they do that and let me plan this and here's the contingencies and that and that and that and that and our head is so full it is difficult for us to be fully present in this moment now the reason this is a problem is if we are not fully in this present now one we're not living in this moment and two we are not aware of what's going on around us. Therefore, 
our responses may not be appropriate to what is actually happening. We are so afraid of what the other person might be thinking of what might happen that we may inadvertently cause bad things to happen just because we're not paying attention to what's right in front of us. Well, you make a really good point with that. We've got about four minutes left in the show. So if we could kind of wrap it up for people, we've, we've talked about the different strategies, we've taken them through the step, but let's go back, let's go global. And let's give them that global overview that if, if they were to remember three things from the show, what would you think those three things should be? The first one is it's really important to become aware of the stories that you're telling yourself. Because those stories greatly impact not just your experience of life, but your opportunities. What are you telling yourself? What assumptions are you making that may not be accurate? And learn how to question those assumptions. Are they really true? And what else might be possible? The Good second, one. Yeah. The second one is that action matters. You need to do things. At the same time, you need to be. Life is about the interweaving of experience and action. Feeling, thinking, being, doing all need to work together. And I think the third one is that you matter. You are the only you there will ever be. You are wonderful and beautiful as yourself. And your purpose on this earth is to be you. And everything you ever wanted to be already lives inside you and is just waiting to come out. Well, th those are great thoughts to leave our listeners with. If people want to learn more about you or uh, find out more about you, is there a website? How do they find you? Well, the easiest way to get in touch with me or find out more about my work, I have articles, videos, podcasts linked there, is through my website, thefullnessofyourpower.com. And I actually, I do have a newsletter that I send out. If anyone's interested in receiving tips, strategies, and inspiration directly in their inbox. And that you can find that at my website as well. And does that go out every month or? Honestly, it goes out when something comes up. It's like, ooh, ooh, this is really cool. I want to share it with my community. That's awesome. Well, I, I can't. Thank you enough for being with us today and, and Rachel sharing your thoughts and your strategies because it's a new year, 2022. Now's the time I think we all should use to, to make the change that we want to make. And if not now, when? Rachel, thank you so much. I certainly will think about how I navigate my 2022 
and think about you when I do it. Thank you so much. This has been lovely. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.